0: From Los Angeles, this is the Echelon Radio Network. So this is Jerry Hemsworth with the Echelon Radio Broadcast. And I'm sitting here today with Kim Millman. She is an estate and uh, well, well, let me back it up. You're a trust and estate planning attorney. Mm-hmm. Does it always go trust and estate planning attorney? In
1: actually, I generally describe it as estate planning and trust administration. Oh, there it is. Okay. And what's the difference between what, trust okay, so, administration? So, so estate planning is what happens before someone dies, mm-hmm. and trust administration is what happens after someone dies.
0: Which I would imagine is a much longer process. Yes. Yeah. The
1: trust, and it's it's actually much. Longer, more complicated, and generally more expensive. Oh, gosh. So, and there's a very big misconception about that because people are sort of conditioned to believe that if you do an estate plan that's a trust-based plan, mm-hmm. you don't have to go to probate, and when someone mm-hmm. dies, you are done. You don't do anything. Right. And that's not true. There is as much work, if not more, after someone passes away. The trust, the, a trust doesn't actually do anything anything. It's not magic. It's mm-hmm. instructions. It tells people what to do. Okay. It doesn't move assets around. It doesn't tell beneficiaries anything. Somebody has to read it, follow the laws of the state, the mm-hmm. federal government, and the trust document itself. Okay. So that's what trust administration is. It's following the probate code and doing mm-hmm. all the required notifications and filing all the tax returns, mm-hmm. finding the assets, valuing the assets, figuring out what the trust instructs the Trustee to do, right. and then doing that. That process, in general, takes between nine and eighteen months. Okay, nine to eighteen months. Yeah, it depends on how complicated the assets are, how messy the decedent was, and oh. whether or not things are nice and organized. Um, whether and or debts, not, and, well, there's not. debts. There's. I will give you a classic example. Yeah. I had a client. Who I had known this family for many years, but I was friends with one of the sons in the family. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know his father. His father was by um, uh, by profession. He was in the um, he invested in second trust deeds for the most part. So uh, most of them were hard money loans. He had lots of deals, lots of things where he was the creditor. Okay, but. We had minimal minimal to no records. Oh, he also had a tendency to invest in very risky deals with minimal oh, to no paperwork. So when he passed away, we had three checks. Each check was a half a million dollars. Oh, and it said in the bottom, investment. Oh, dear. So the- Oh, dear. <laughs> yes, you can imagine. So the two sons yes. were like, well, how do we get our money back? I go, well, how do we find our money? How do we deal with this? So that was an example heck? of the most um, uh, confusing. But yeah. then there are people, I have one going right now, where the client um, was uh, a business owner. Mm-hmm. As far as his family knew, quite a successful business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, he died of COVID. He caught it, mm. and he died a week later. Oh, no. Totally suddenly, right. no no understanding of, of yeah. You know, expectation that he was in poor health, mm-hmm. and um, we're still looking for his situation. It's oh, been dear. going on for months. He's. Um, we found. I think we're at last count we had thirty five bank accounts. We had. You've got to be kidding nope, me. We had. I think about thirty credit cards. We have. Uh, four or five pieces of real real property, all of which have loans on it. Because he was a business owner, he had taken out a PPP loan and an SBA loan within a month of his death. It is, it is, it's a puzzle. Um, and do you like those kind of cases? I love those kind of cases. Yeah, the big I juicy lo- ones. I love, I love the puzzle. Okay. I don't, what I don't do is litigation. So if anybody's fighting, I don't like the fights. And I don't, I don't take on those cases. Well,
0: Perhaps your your law is your second career. Yes. Because in junior high and high school, you worked after school.
1: Where did you work? So my parents started a business in the fashion business Mm -hmm. when I was 10. Actually, they started it when I was nine. When wow. I was ten, my mother announced that I needed to get a job since I has now obtained um, attained double digit age status. Oh dear! So my pa- Ma- my mom. <laughs> so so my 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 parents were childhood sweethearts. They my father grew up. In um, the Catskill Mountains, they both grew up in the Catskill Mountains. Oh. But my father owned a hotel; his family owned a hotel okay. that was very similar to Dirty Dancing. exactly, oh, you're exactly like Dirty Dancing <laughs> in the Catskills. And my the reason my parents met is because my mother was a dancer at the hotel. Oh, when they were teenagers. Yeah. So uh, my father had this understanding that you basically give birth to your employees. Oh that's my what, gosh, that's what his family was. Every wow. member of his family. The hotel was started by his grandfather. There was um, his grandfather. He had five children. There are five children. There are five husbands. The five those five couples had ten grandchildren. They all lived together on the hotel property, and they all worked in the hotel. Every yeah, one of truly them. Truly a family. Truly business. a family business. So my father. That's how he thought that's family businesses worked. Mm-hmm. So so my my I have one sister. Mm-hmm. Um, the family business was, my mother was the marketing side mm-hmm. in, in, on the, we were in, like I said, the apparel industry mm-hmm. and I was groomed to be my father's, um, gotcha. uh, we, uh, his sidekick, well, like, kind of his psychic, Mostly his, his escape plan. That's oh. how that's how they were going to retire. They were going gotcha. to give everything to me and my sister. And they whether were gonna, you liked it or not, whether we liked it or not, exactly. Mm. So when I was ten, and my mother made me this proposition, I said, "Well, I don't. Who, I'm ten years old. Who's going to hire me?" And of course, she said, "I will." So every day after school, mm-hmm. um, I literally worked forty hours a week from the time I was ten. Um, I worked all the way through high school, or all the way through junior high, through high school. I went to, to uh, CSUN because it was close by. Sure. I worked 40-plus um, hours a week in
0: college. Um, wow. I, yeah. I <laughs> so, uh, this Did is, you ever question or was it that this was normal for you and, and you
1: don't question? So it's kind of both. When I was, when I also, when I was 10, mm-hmm. my, my fourth grade class went on a field trip to a courthouse, and I said, ah, oh, oh. this is what I want to do. Oh. And then the family business took over, and that that goal was sort of put aside.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and um, as I said, I was I was my father's succession plan, and very uh, abruptly and tragically, my father passed away very young. Oh um, boy. How old was he? He was forty five. Oh no! Um, he uh, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor on Friday, and yes. he died on Sunday.
0: Oh, you've got to be so! Kidding. It
1: was. Yeah, it was a it was oh. a, it was a very unbelievable c- circumstance. And so my Trudy. my mother was a mess mm. and my sister and I were trying to keep my mother together and try to keep the business going and I was 23 mm. and I was the CFO. Because that's why that was my position. And did you know what you were doing? I at did. That point? I mean, to a certain extent. I yes. mean, my father was self. My father was an engineer by training. Okay. But my father was running the business, and he had taught me from the time I was probably twelve or thirteen. I was running the books, and I was so doing. He was the, a great teacher. He was a great teacher, nice. and I had sort of a a natural affinity to contracts and negotiations really? and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So I wow. sort of stepped into that role. Okay. And and um, I just, I just did it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you do what you, you got to do, do. You do, you don't question, right. you just do it. Right. So, so over the years, the family, the, the business was always in apparel, yes. specifically um, accessories, mm-hmm. and we always sold to the junior market. So what and we- And direct
0: mail catalog. No, no, no. What, that, not then, at that point? Not at that time. Okay.
1: No, at the beginning stages, we were what was called a jobber. Okay, and Jobbers don't exist anymore. But what jobbers did is they were a middleman between large manufacturers mm-hmm. and individual mom and pop dress shops. Gotcha. And we had thousands of dress shops around the country. We had sales reps around the country. And we were the middleman. Yes. And over time, the economy changed. Mom and pop dress shops went out of business. Mm-hmm. And the rise of the malls happened. And Every store was in every mall. So then you had, rather than have little stores all over the place, Mm -hmm. you had one store that was in 200 places or 500 places. And these are names that you grew up with: Judy's, Contempo Casuals, um, Wet Seal, Five Seven Nine, Petries, Gantos. um, Oh my gosh! um, And we also sold to all the department stores, so Nordstroms and Macy's and and Sears and I mean everybody. Wow, And so we, but those type of people, they don't need a middleman. You are now, yeah. you either, you go, you, know, direct. you go direct. So then we became domestic manufacturers. So we designed the product and we made it. So then we went from having sources out all over the place mm-hmm. that we're buying, that we were buying from to turning into a factory. Wow. One of our competitors went out of business. We, we, I negotiated, I bought their whole factory. I bought all of their equipment. I bought all oh of their employees. I moved okay. them into our building and we were we were domestic manufacturers unbelievable and then the economy got even worse and domestic manufacturing became impossible
0: mm. partially
1: because labor laws, labor laws and labor costs were too high mm-hmm. but more importantly we sold product that was not particularly liked by Cal Osha you mm. can't do metal work you can't do mm-hmm. leather dyeing, and we sold primarily belts and hats and 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 small leather yeah. goods that's
0: accessories that's yes.
1: accessories and you can't and, and earrings and and, mm-hmm. and um, even even things that weren't particularly metal had metal parts like a belt buckle gotcha so all of a sudden you couldn't make anything locally either so but we had our clients, and my family's motto was hard workers, fast learners okay so what's to do? We went to China so. Mm-hmm. We, um, Gosh. we started having, we, again, designed the product here, had them manufactured in China. We did that for several years, had everything brought in that way. And then, by this time, it was 1996. Mm-hmm. And in 1996, in the first six months, uh, uh, six of our major um, customers declared bankruptcy all at the same time. And each one of those bankruptcies was between 200 and 400 stores, or no, 204,000 stores. So that bankruptcy, those bankruptcies were enough to wipe us off the planet really for forever. So but we had one customer Mm -hmm. who was doing gangbuster business, they would do a test order of 30, uh, 300 pieces, and mm-hmm. two days later, they buy 3,000. And two days after that, buy another 3,000. Okay. And they were doing business because they had developed a business model that had never been done before, which was direct marketing to teen girls. They mm-hmm. were named the, – the, the company was called Delia's, mm-hmm. and they literally created a, – a, they unleashed a whole new concept. And we looked at them, and we said – you know, we don't. One of the reasons we never went retail before is because right. brick and mortar is really hard to do. Right, you have to have all the places and all the leases that you can't do that. Sure. So, but we're sitting in our building and we could we could put out a catalog. Yeah. So, um, my at, at that point, my mother retired, okay. and my I, what I missed in the story is my. I, over those years my yeah. sister had gotten married and her husband came into the business and I had gotten married and my husband came into the business oh I didn't realize yes yeah, so yes yeah, was so it was, yeah, so it was all, okay. all, all all four of us were running it what about your children <laughs> um, when we started girlfriends my oldest son was in junior high or middle school and my little ones were in they were like well we sold it and they were they were second grade. They must have been okay. in preschool. Okay. No, actually, then my, I got my timing off. My older one would have been in grade school, gotcha. and my little ones would have been in, in preschool. Okay. So they were... Because they're five years apart.
0: Little. I yeah, mean, they you were little. I mean, little kids. Yeah,
1: they were little. Gotcha. So, so we decided to start the catalog. Mm-hmm. That was our... And we were going to sort of emulate the way the, the, the Dilias had done it. Right. So, but we were, at our core, we were manufacturers. And when we sold everything that we had made before, it was all private label. So if you went into Contempo... It was. It said Contempo, right? And if you went into Judy's, right. it said Judy's, sure. but it was all us. Sure. So we knew how to make things, but we didn't have a brand, right? So we hired a graphic artist. She designed the um, the brand first. I actually came up with the name Girlfriends, nice. but Girlfriends was taken, so then we came at Girlfriends LA, okay. which is how which we kind of marketed as a as a California look. Uh-huh. And we um, we took the product that we had made for other people. We put the Girlfriends brand on it. And we ran a full-page ad in Seventeen magazine. Wow! that which, was, and and that the was ad expensive that was. I, if I want to say it was probably thirty-five thousand dollars. Wow! And but great circulation. Well, yes, yeah, I don't know what it is now. I'm sure it's still probably, it's probably the number one teen magazine yeah. at the time. Yeah, and probably still is. Of course. And Seventeen's and from like the '40s. Yes. So, um, so the ad said you could take you could buy product directly off the ad, yes. or you could call for catalog. So the, I don't remember what the sales off the ad were, but the day the ad hit, which mm-hmm. was in October of 96, we got 6,000 phone calls the first day. Oh dear. So suddenly you had to, uh, We were severely <laughs> understaffed. Center? We did not have anything <laughs> ready for that. We had, um, we had, uh, uh, seven employees and mm-hmm. four phone lines and yeah, totally blown out of the water. Yeah. And and we actually got our I first. I cat- something here. Yes, yeah, we actually got our first catalog out that um, that for for Christmas of that season. Although our delivery was terrible, we were totally oh understa- understocked and understaffed. But there's a couple of funny stories about that. So so one of the things this is again this is before the internet. Yes. So mail order was really mail order. They yeah, sent you a, they sent you an envelope with a check in it. Yes. So we had gotten a PO box to take the mail in. Uh-huh. So the then the PO box was on. On the way between our houses and the the, the factory, yeah. so my sister and I drive to work. And we say, let's, "Let's go to the post office and see what's there." So we open the post office. There's like four envelopes. Yeah. Oh, how exciting! Oh, so we so we we, we got ordered. So we do this every day, and there's like four <laughs> envelopes, and there's like seven <laughs> envelopes, and there's like twenty envelopes, and then we open the de- the thing, and there's a key, and I go. Oh, a key. What does the key mean? It's
0: going to a no. bigger
1: store. No, so so so. Actually, it wasn't a key. It was a, it was a piece of paper. Yeah. So I go to the front desk. I go. This was in my P.O. box. What does this mean? And the guy walks out. and goes, Ah, oh, okay. your girlfriend's comes back, brings me a mail a, a sorting tray. Yes, full. And it got to the point where there was like twenty, thirty sorting trays. It was insane. It was crazy. Oh, Kim, you and so, your sister must have gone oh crap. Yeah. Well and the funniest thing is that when the when the mail was little, I said, you know, we need to have a letter opener in the car so we can open it oh. up and read the letters on the way oh. into work. And then all of a sudden oh, we've got these nice trays. Very nice. <laughs> so so we again, like I said, the family model is hard workers, fast yes. learners. We instantly uh, rearranged ourselves. We we by nature are were hands on. Mm-hmm. So we built a call center. We staffed it. We built it, it had 16 stations. Everything in house. Everything in house. We did we we converted one of the one of the we, we had it had been an empty room at the at the warehouse. We yep. built a call center there. We staffed it 24/7, but we also had an overflow uh, call center in, in another place. We hired we we um, brought in Warehouse staffed mm-hmm. for for packing and picking, mm-hmm. or picking and packing mm-hmm. and shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, and we stayed in that build. That building was about thirteen thousand square feet.
0: Whoa! And that's
1: big. and and that last when we had that was where we were when we had the factory. Okay. So that did not work for the for, for girlfriends. It was way too small. So we ended up buying another building about forty thousand square feet. Um, and it, by sheer luck, it was right next to a postal distribution center. Perfect. So it was. It was. It, it was in Valencia. There's a, a, ma- a major yeah. BMC on Franklin Parkway. Of course. We were two, we were on Franklin Parkway two doors down. Gotcha. So which was great because we could have the latest pickups, and it was sure. it was awesome. Sure. Um, we ended up running girlfriends for about six years. Six we, years. Six years. years. We sold it um, in March of 2002 to a competitor. Okay. Um, and at the time we sold it, we had a. Little over 200 employees. We had a database of about eight and a half million teenage girls, and we were producing 30 million catalogs a year.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Yeah. So, and, and then you went. Well, then I went, I was like hitting a brick wall. It's yeah. like you can't, I was working 24 7, and I was, I still had kids, and they yes. were, you know, they sometimes Three saw me. Three boys. Three boys. Yes. Yeah. And so when we sold, when we sold, well, I have an older one, and I have twins. Yes. And when we sold girlfriends, the twins were in second grade. Okay. And I, I all of a sudden realized, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. I can, mm-hmm. I can go to law school. I can be a lawyer here because I did it's got, got on had been put on hold for twenty something years, mm-hmm. but now I had time. Now's the time. So I made that decision on January thirty first, and I remember it was January thirty first of. Um, cause I, we sold it in March of 2002, but I yeah. had cleanup work at the end and we, course, we owned yeah. real estate. I had to sell off the real estate and I had to do the true up on the sale oh. and I had all the taxes and everything. So I finished everything in, in, in mid January. Uh-huh. And on January 31st, I said, I'm going to go to law school. So I go and look up all and the... And your l- husband said, um... No, my husband said fine. Oh, okay, uh, good. Yeah, my my husband was totally fine with that. <laughs> so, and I had no idea what law school was going to be. I mean, it's a law school. How hard could it be, right? <laughs> but you got into Pepperdine Law. So, so... Well, what happened is I, I looked at... I went online to the... There's five local law schools mm. that are ABA law schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went on all of their websites, and their applications for all of them was due the same day, February 1st. Oh, God. <laughs> so I said, well, oh. this is not going to work. Oh. So I so I decided... And I, ha- I had to take the LSAT, and I yeah, had to... there's
0: things you got to do get first. I to do
1: stuff. So I... I decided to apply the next year. Uh-huh. I spent that one year, I practiced for the, for the LSAT, and yeah, I yeah. self-studied, and I, and oh I tried gosh. to be a PTA mom, and I helped in my kids' classrooms. And I did all the stuff that people who have time to, to do things in their children's lives, mm-hmm. which I had ignored for most of their lives. Right. Um, so I did that. And well, actually, I take that back. Right after the sale closed, I slept for a week. <laughs> I bet because that was an unbelievable experience, um, oh. and um, so then when I when I when I did decide to go to law school, I I did go to Pepperdine. I mm. loved Pepperdine. I loved law school. Mm. I thought this was awesome. It was it was it was
0: stimulating. And did you remember being ten years old and going into that courthouse I, and going wow? Well, you know, okay. I, the funniest thing is what happened is as a result of having the company mm-hmm.
1: um, we had been involved in lots of litigation various okay. types of litigation so my my quest for being in a courtroom mm. went away <laughs> like yeah i'm yeah, done yeah i'm i'm done Enough. Uh, yeah i had no interest in, in having anything to do with litigation but my quest for law and negotiations mm. and working with people and mm-hmm. and tax planning, all that, mm-hmm. that became very important to me. Okay. So when I was in law school, I discovered that estate planning was a, was a perfect complement for what I had done. And you had experienced the loss of your father. Yes, right. And the, and my father, partially because he had died so young, was thoroughly, there was nothing. There was no estate plan of any kind. In oh fact, on my father's desk was a little, this is before Post-it notes, but yeah. there was a little... A little taped to his, his, yeah. his, um, lamp, do will. Oh. So, yeah, my first experience with, list. with anything to do with an estate plan of any kind was what happens when you don't have one? Mm. And it was, it was a mess. I mean, it was, it was a mess for a whole bunch of reasons. Sure. And again, dealing with my mother who was, I mean, they had been dating since my mother was uh, 10 and my father was, devastated. was 11. Devastated. Sure. Yeah, devastated. Um, so and the, the circumstances of his death was just mm. so horrible. Yes. So um, I I decided in law school that this was my calling. This was a perfect fit it. for me. I could it. work with business owners. I could mm-hmm. work with families. I could do tax planning. I could do projections. I could do um, succession planning. Mm-hmm. I've always been extremely philanthropic, so I could do charitable planning. It was a perfect fit. Wow. So and on a somewhat selfish side thing too. Estate planning doesn't have the kind of um, oversight from the court, and it okay. doesn't have the timelines and the and the deadlines. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to do that either. Mm-hmm. I had, I, you know, I'd lived that life. I yes. really didn't. I wanted to be able to pick the clients and pick the situations and do
0: what I was best at. What a great advantage that you had then, because uh, that you had had your first career mm-hmm. and experienced all that, so that when you did go to law school. You were that much wiser, and you knew what you didn't want.
1: So that's a great point for being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work so well for being a law student. Uh, because when you're a student, th- law school really wants an untouched brain. Okay. They don't... I mean, I had I had a very hard start to my law school career because... A, I hadn't been a student for twenty years, mm-hmm. more than yeah, twenty-five years. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking in like I'm in the you know 1985. So yeah. I I walk in with my spiral notebooks. Oh. I'm sitting there waiting to take notes, and everybody around me's got their laptops. Yeah, And I'm going. How do you listen and type at the same time? Oh, so yeah. I I did my first and and I did everything by the book because that's that's sure. how I was taught. Sure. So so the professor said you know read read twenty-seven cases and and brief them, which is like so I'm like typing. Ten-page briefs, and I'm I'm sitting oh, in class okay. every day, and I'm writing notes, and then I go home and I'm transcribing my notes because how else am I going to get them into my right. computer? Right. And and law school was the first year you, da- you can't control your pro- your schedule; they do it for you. Mm-hmm. So Pepperdine's plan was you have six classes, mm-hmm. that, and you're in a section of of eighty people that all have the same six classes, mm-hmm. and you have no control over when they are, or what they are, or what they're doing. So I'm I'm literally working. Uh, insane amounts, I mean, an insane amount of hours just to stay on top of things. Did you ever see your babies, your kids? You know, it's really funny. (laughs) To this day, we'll be sitting around having a family dinner or something or other, and somebody say, do you remember when we did this? And they'll all start talking about it, and I'll have this dead expression. um, And they'll look at each other and go, law school years. uh, So yes, so I had, I did have. You lost some. I uh, lost, I lost some serious family time. And, and I decided that I, I couldn't continue like that Mm. that was just I was going to have a heart attack Mm -hmm. so I decided to go to summer school the summer between my my first year and my Mm -hmm. second year Mm -hmm. and while I was in summer school I discovered that there were two things you could do A if I went to summer school both summers between one and two and two Mm -hmm. and three Mm -hmm. that's basically a lot of a lot of classes out of the way or a lot of units out of the way and Pepperdine I don't know if other schools do this but Pepperdine offered classes in either three unit versions or four unit versions So if you take all the four-unit versions, you end up lopping off one or two classes. So by sheer luck for me, all the classes that I was good in were four-unit classes. So people didn't want to, people don't like those four units because if you do poorly in them, it trashes your GPA. I bet. But for me, Wells and Trust was a four-unit class. Income tax was oh, a four-unit class. There was class. somebody saying, "This is the way you need to right. go." Right, but Kim. you know, conversely, evidence was a four-unit class, and I wasn't touching Ooh. that one. <laughs> so, run away. So, so, but but what happened is, so I did the four-unit classes and mm-hmm. I took the summer school, um, both summers, and I ended up graduating a semester early. Nice. So I literally slowed myself down to the point of speeding myself up. Yes. And yes. then I I realized, okay, I I know how. To run a business, mm-hmm. and I've been to law school, but I have no idea how to be a lawyer. Because I, wow. I, law school teaches yeah. you how to be a law student. Not how to It doesn't to teach a you business. how to actually practice law.
0: But you had run a business before. I had. So you knew about insurance. You knew about right. accounting and right. books. And right, right. And I right. had again,
1: I was a CFO, so I knew right. all the back end. Right. So I... Went and I, I went to go look for a, a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up working for an attorney who is um, a small lo- a sole practitioner, mm-hmm. specialized in high net worth planning, brilliant attorney, really nice guy, taught me everything of how to be a lawyer. And he, he nice. had, you know, some, some attorneys... He became a bit of a mentor. He was a mentor. And nice. a lot of, of sole practitioners don't do that because they're afraid that the, right. the, 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 the underling is going to steal their business. Yes. But no, he didn't. He had me sit in on client meetings. He had me go to presentations. He was awesome. Yes. And um, I would have stayed with him mm-hmm. because it was a great deal. Mm-hmm. But... Um, the economy turned again. Mm-hmm. Um, I graduated last school in 2000. I'm technically the class of 2007, but I graduated in 2006 because okay. of that semester thing. Mm-hmm. So I, worked, I started working for him in, in 2007, yes. and then the economy went to yes. 2008. And then in 2010, that was the year where there was no estate tax. Yes. So between the economy being terrible and the laws being totally uncertain, there was nothing to do. That was about the time that I met you.
0: Yes. And so, exactly. we were networking together. Right, which was also his suggestion. And you were you went out on your own. Mm-hmm. And so I want to fast forward to today. If a client was to say the best thing you do for them is. So
1: uh, that's hard. Um I think most, if you were to actually interview my clients, mm-hmm. the answer that they would probably give you is I understand them. Yes. I listen to them. I understand them. I correct them from making mistakes. Mm-hmm. I uh, I put together teams for their benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes back to the, to the more so on the estate. De, on the trust administration side, yes. because when someone passes away, especially if they die either suddenly or, like I said before, in a disorganized manner, mm-hmm. um, you need a team. Yeah. You need to find a CPA. You need to find a, a, a financial planner. You need to find an appraiser. You need to find a realtor. Real yes. you, yeah. Yeah. yes. Yeah. So the ability to network and find all those people mm-hmm. has been amazing.
0: Amazing. And I bet because of everything you've been through in your life, business owner, mom, law school, every, and, and the loss of your fa- father, I I have to believe you bring uh, a soft gentleness to your clients because you understand them, and you understand the grief and some of the things they're going through. Yeah, I, I think
1: that's probably true. Yeah. I think, that's why I said if, if you ask them, I think that's what they would most likely think. Because I picked the profession avoiding the confrontation yes. and the aggression. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are many, many really talented probate litigators out there. Yes. And when I have a client, like go back to the one with the, with the three checks. Yes. We had a, <laughs> I brought in a litigator because we had to do something on that. It wasn't going to be me. Right. So I team up you with people. Bring in the team. Bring in the team. And, and, I'm, and I have this great ability to do that from all of the people I've met over the years since I've been
0: on my own. Um, and it's Very been unique. really, really helpful. You are really one of the more unique attorneys I've ever met. I think I, I feel um, really confident in your ability because of your history and what you've done in your life. Well, thank you. And I just think that's it. I like like-minded people, and I think you're one of those. Well, I think it's also something
1: to... I'm very detail oriented mm-hmm. and i I get into the weeds mm-hmm. and that's important when you're trying to find things. Right. But you're not afraid to get into the weeds either. No. As long as, as long as there's no fighting. Yes. Yeah. Keep you know, the fighting. Keep the, yeah. <laughs> no boxing gloves. Right. Cause that's a whole nother personality type. Yeah. yeah. And that's and not I didn't you. want to
0: do that. You've got too big of a heart. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, thank you for being with me today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so glad you were here. This is great. Thanks. Presented by Echelon Business Development. More than just networking. Way more.